Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So here we are. We are uh, at the end of five weeks where we have been sifting through uh, the book of Ruth. It has been an incredible journey. And I wonder today what God may have specifically for you. Uh, Maybe it's already been achieved. Maybe um, if it was Jesse with the sore pain or someone else in the room or at home who has had a sore rib and maybe the Lord has already uh, healed you this morning. I wonder if there is some encouragement that the Lord has for you this morning. I wonder if there is an answer to prayer that the Lord would have for you this morning. I wonder if there is a a new understanding, revelation of His love and goodness in your life this morning. I I wonder if there's a breakthrough that you've been asking for this morning. Um, I wonder what the Lord uh, would have for you today, because I'm sure He wants to meet you. The thread that we have seen woven through uh, the last four chapters of Ruth is that God is at work behind the scenes. Like a film director, he is involved but not controlling. He is executing his will and desire but through others. His character and personality uh, shine through the characters that he has chosen to place on stage and have a star role in the film. God as the director behind the scenes gives himself to the creative work of placing the right people in the right place at the right time, even when we feel like we're the wrong person in maybe the right or the wrong place at the right time. So I want to remind you this morning that even when you feel like you are the wrong person playing the right or wrong part in life, that God has chosen you to be exactly where you are among the people that you are with in the environments that you find yourself for a specific reason and task. That the faithfulness of God as the director behind the scenes of your life has chosen you for here and now. God does not make mistakes and his kingdom is not one of coincidence. As I spoke of the other week, that our moments of what seems to be an as-it-turns-out moment, those moments where in life we kind of go, oh, that's right, it's turned out this way and God is actually good. What to us seems like an as-it-turns-out moment began as, a, as I planned it in the director's chair of God. There is no coincidence that God is a carefully considered God who plans good things for our lives. And so I want to say this morning, take heart, church. God's got this. And whatever the this is, I want you to be reminded that God has it. Maybe it is the pain and the struggle of this season. Maybe it is um, whatever, maybe it's even, well, I'm sure it even is the whole COVID thing. God has got this. God has got his church. God has got your life. God has got your employment. God has got your health. God has got your family. God has got this. It's good news to start the morning. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 to 22 is where we are this morning, and we've just come off uh, the back of where we left off, which was uh, 
the, the vying for who is going to marry Ruth. Uh, there was uh, someone in the family, a relative closer to Elimelech, who by right was entitled to be the kinsman redeemer and marry Ruth and take the land. Uh, but that unnamed man in Scripture, he turned down the opportunity and Boaz stepped in to be Ruth's redeemer. And we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. We're going to save the birds and the bees. But it's very clear in, in a very biblical sense. And one day I will preach a message when God gets intimate with his bride. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. What an extraordinary statement of the preciousness of this child. That seven sons is of incredible worth to a woman in Naomi's situation. And the exclamation that this baby is worth more than all that seven sons could bring has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid her in her lap and became his nurse. And I'm, I'm being really restrained right now, but I would also love to preach a message one day of when God gives you milk when milk shouldn't be there. Because we've got to understand that Naomi became his nurse, but Naomi did not give birth to this child. That God in this instance gave something to Naomi as, a, as an incredible gift to this child and I think that, at, I'm starting to preach the message of it already, I think that at times, maybe even in my own life, I think back over my short years, and I think God's done with me now. I think maybe my glory days were in youth ministry. Maybe my glory days of ministry and preaching God's word are behind me. But you know, God isn't concerned with seasons in your life, even when you are in all ways naturally or spiritually feeling like you are done, God will bring milk to flow from your body to nourish this world. That was a little freebie and diversion that one day might become something else. But contained within these four verses, verse 13 uh, to 18, 16 even, are some of the very best of life. I mean, the most jubilant, the most exciting, the most meaningful, the most breathtaking moments that can happen in the human experience. There was a marriage. Who doesn't love a good wedding? They are times of joy and partying and fun and of celebration. There is the first night of a honeymoon. Bow wow. Wonderful moment in the human experience. There is the news of conception. I think back over every time we found out all four times that we were pregnant that there was, yeah, a reservedness, but there was an incredible joy in that moment of, yes, it worked. <laughs> I actually had a, I had a dream the other day that Elise came and said, I'm pregnant again, not that it can happen. And it was more of a nightmare than it was a dream. I'm just, for the record. You know, there was the birth of a child. If you've ever been right there, 
at the, at the moment where a human is brought into existence, it has got to be one of the most mind-blowing, world-changing, tip-up-everything-you-have-ever-experienced-before moment where there is just this moment of, wow. There was the making of a first-time grandma, something that I'll never experience being a first-time grandma, but I have seen both my mum and Elisa's mum at, again, the birth of our children and becoming a grandma for the first time. Jubilance, excitement. The forming of a family. The realisation in this moment that God is good and that he has a plan regardless of age or season. In these four verses, uh, if we were to just unpack everything that happened, there is this incredible beauty of what life looked like. This is the, ah, everything is right with the world. This would have been for Ruth and Naomi, like a young mum and and her mother-in-law sitting down on the esplanade at South Cronulla with the pram and the baby on the knee, giggling and laughing, sipping their lattes in the summer sunshine. Life at this point, everything was right. There was beauty and there was wonder and there was love and there was connection. There was all of these incredible things all stitched up in this short passage of Scripture. I mean, your memory is probably a whole lot better than mine. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast, but are we talking about and reading about the same Naomi and the same Ruth as three and a half chapters ago? I mean, are we talking about the Naomi who in this minute is experiencing the best of life? Are we talking about the same Naomi who labored for years for her family and in a home and in a city where there was no food? The same Naomi who worried every day what her husband and two boys would eat for dinner that night? Are we talking about the same Naomi who in desperation gave up her hometown? She left her tribe She left all the familiarities and all of the traditions to follow her husband to Moab. Are we talking about the same Naomi who uprooted uprooted all of life, including her two young boys, to move to a hostile and enemy land? Are we talking about the same Naomi who during the decade as a refugee in a foreign land lost her husband, Elimelech? The same Naomi who lost her two sons, Marlon and Chilean. The same Naomi that had no hope for life, who had no future, who had no hope in the long-held promises of God. Are we talking about the very same Naomi who in the end requested that her name be called Bitter because of how God had seemingly dealt with her? Are we talking about the same Ruth? When we contrast this, this picture of beauty and wonder and amazement and the best of the human experience, are we still talking about the same Ruth that couldn't believe her luck when a strapping young lad named Marlon Brando, I had to put it in there, rolled into Moab and she married him. The same Ruth who in that time lost her father-in-law to death. The same Ruth who in a short space, would also lose her own husband, 
The same Ruth that risked then everything to follow her mother-in-law into her own foreign land. The same Ruth that left any security, left any family, that left her childhood faith. We've got to understand the Moabites had their own gods and she was willing to give up everything that she was brought up on to follow. Is this the same Naomi that left a land of plenty to go back to a land where there was famine? The same Ruth that woke up every day to go and scrounge in the fields of a stranger just to put food on the table that night. The same Ruth that at great risk took on the very demeanor of a prostitute and laid herself at the foot of Boaz on the threshing floor. The very same Ruth that sat anxiously at the city gates waiting to learn the fate of her future as men at the gates of the city bargained for her destiny. Are we talking about the same people? I mean, the contrast between the beauty of life and also the despair of life. And I'm acutely aware that for many, this season has been incredibly difficult. Maybe you've walked through loss, as I know some of you have. Maybe you have walked through dramatic change, which all of us have. Maybe you have walked through grief. Maybe there is a famine in your world that you have been walking through, and I want to announce to you afresh today that God cares deeply for you, for your everyday and for your eternal days. God cares for your everyday and your eternal days. Now, there is pattern and precedence through the story of Ruth, indeed the whole of the biblical narrative, that God takes that which is unwhole He takes that which is broken, that which is imperfect, that which is lost, and he makes it whole, and he makes it integrous, he makes it strong, and he makes it redeemed for his name. He restores those things. But how does that that even work? You know, when my experience tells me that I don't often feel that. You know, on our worst days, it can feel like God is entertained at our misfortune or our suffering. You know, on our worst days, it could feel like God is sitting back in his recliner with his popcorn and Coke, being entertained, watching My Life Sucks, the days of Dave Standen. But we need to be reminded, and I want to remind you this morning, that God is not in the viewer's chair. God is not a spectator. He is not entertained by any kind of suffering. He is in the director's chair of your life, working relentlessly to restore your heart, working relentlessly to restore your situation, and working relentlessly to come good on his daily and eternal promises in your life and for our world. Now, as we cast our eyes back over the book of Ruth, I mean, from the vantage point at which we stand now in chapter four, where there is beauty and amazing things and the best of human experience. As we cast our eyes back from this vantage point, we can see the evidence of God's activity and love in the everyday. Now, God met hunger with barley. God met loneliness and isolation with companionship and community. God met scarcity with abundance. 
God met prayers with answers. God met singleness with togetherness. God met hopelessness with hope. God met despair with inheritance. God met the end of the family line with a baby. I mean, can you imagine the prayers that were prayed and the tears that were cried from Ruth and Naomi as they walked the dusty roads between Moab and Jerusalem and the, 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 the road from home to the, the fields where they were collecting grain. I can just imagine Ruth just kicking the dirt on her way saying, what am I doing here? Is this even worth it? I mean, is God, is, is God in this land that they keep telling me about? Is he even good? I mean, can imagine Naomi those, as she's walking from Moab, husbandless and childless, furious and bitter, the kind of prayers of anguish and anxiety that she would have prayed. In every one of these prayers, cries or complaints, God met them. Psalm 120 verse 1 says, In my trouble I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. This is the story that we're a part of. A God who relentlessly hears the cries of his people and responds, even in the everyday. One of my jobs around here um, is to um, kind of maintain and oversee the facility around here. Uh, I have enough trouble overseeing the facility of my home that would probably fit four times over in this one room, let alone the rest of the joint. As you can imagine, there's lots of light bulbs and lots of door handles and lots of scuffs and scrapes and kids kicking holes in walls and all the rest of it. And um, it could just about be a full-time person's job just to maintain and oversee everything that happens in this building. And for uh, a number of uh, times last year when I was working with Brooke, um, he's got a wonderful man. You might have met him named Malcolm Babbage by his side. And Malcolm is a retired gentleman. Uh, no idea how old he is. Looks 3,000, but got the body, mind, and fitness of a 30-year-old. And everywhere where Brooke is, whether he's renovating houses in uh, for uh, community care or whether he's at Sea Change or wherever he might be, Malcolm is by his side. He's ready to pick up things in trailers and do handy jobs here and there. And uh, for about a year, I was praying for a Malcolm. And I thought, Lord, how good would it be to have a Malcolm? Lord, can I have a Malcolm? I would just love to not have to worry about changing the light globe. Lord, where's Malcolm in my life? And it wasn't like I was fasting 40 days. These were just moments where, you know, I'd get frustrated because I got to do a job. I'd be like, God, where's my Malcolm? <laughs> You're like, cry me a river, Dave. You've all got your harps out now, I can tell. You just can't. Uh, towards the end of last year, Brett sent me a text. He had a conversation with Tony Everett, and Tony said to Brett, um, I've got nothing to do with my time at the moment. I'd love to come and be the handyman at church. And I just read that text and just gone, You're joking. There's my Malcolm. <laughs> and then at the start of Corona, um, Kev Sizemore, um, given circumstances around his life and, and COVID, um, needed to volunteer somewhere and uh, chose the church to be the place where he volunteers and registered the church. And now two days a week, we've got Kev Sizemore here uh, painting and fixing things and organizing things and being across things 
And when I prayed for a Malcolm, God gave me a Tony and a Kev. God cares about her every day. I remember a couple of years ago, I was really um, a little bit just in the back of my mind down, not like getting my soul down, but just in the back of my mind going, Lord, I haven't, I haven't baptised anyone for a while. I'm going, I'd love to baptise someone pretty soon. Anyway, went to um, Fiji with Andy Veerus and, and Brooke and the, the guys there. and uh, You hang out with Brooke and Mitch in the environment like that and they're baptising everything that moves, the trees, the plants, the fish. Um, not that the fish really need it, they're in there all the time. But they, they just, you get in that environment and these two, just something, something changes, whether it's a grace of God in their life or just a, a boldness and courage that comes upon them. Um, you know, they're, they're just baptising young guys left, right and centre. I remember standing there going, oh Lord, is this my moment? And I was getting towards the end of the trip and we're in a village and, um, you know, the, the guys had just been baptising after a church service we'd held, baptised a couple of young guys who were there from the mainland just to work in the crop fields, shared Jesus with them, baptised them. Anyway, we're walking out of this village and a young guy came running down and tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you Dave? Are you Dave? I said, yeah, I'm Dave. Um, and they said, there's a young guy up at the waterfall that wants you to baptize him. Wow. God meets us in our everyday. Even in those prayers under our breath, in those moments of frustration and angst, even in the middle of those nights where we are crying out to him through all of the snot, and all of the tears. God is concerned so deeply about your everyday. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. I mean, is this not true of Ruth and Naomi? That from whence they were to where we read of them now, that God delights in every detail of their lives. And I want to remind you of the same this morning, that wherever you are in whatever season you're in, whether you're at home or whether you're in the room, that he delights in every detail of your life. David says also in Psalm 40, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, do not delay, oh my God. God cares deeply for your everyday. Ruth 4, 18 through to 22, the very last stanza of the book of Ruth, the very last act, the very last scene that we are given says this. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Imagine if your name was Ram. <laughs> Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Sam, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz and Ruth fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David, full stop. Or dot, dot, dot. And let's dot, dot, dot through to Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, where Jesse fathered David. And Matthew 1, 6, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. 
and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, let's just skip down a few lines here, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The entire time from Bethlehem to Moab and back again, through death and through tragedy, through trials and through triumphs, through pleasure and through pain, through scarcity and through abundance, through hell and high water to moments of ecstasy and bliss, what seemed like happenstance, what seemed to be coincidence and what seemed like life unfolding had been God behind the scenes outworking his plan to redeem all of humanity. (laughs) He cares about our eternal days as well. Through a cast of unlikely characters, 1,300 years earlier from when Jesus was born. 1,300 years, a long time. God was extending the arc of his kingdom narrative forward. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, Chilion, Ruth, Orpah, Boaz, Boaz's family, Boaz's unnamed other relative who turned down the offer of Ruth and the property, they were a vast cast of ordinary people caught up in the story of God who each played their part in seeing King Jesus humbly arrive on set. Through all of these average and imperfect characters, we get to the point where God sent and gave his son that for whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and shall never perish. Wow. God cares deeply about your eternal days. And with such intricacy to detail, with incredible insight and wisdom, with patience and trust in the passage of time, God choreographed and hatched the greatest plan for salvation this world has ever seen. For millennia, God has been directing history to have your heart. He has even been bending nature to have your heart. He is so deeply concerned about your everyday and he is so deeply concerned for your eternal days. I'll invite the band to come back up. When, when God gets intimate with his bride, he impregnates her. He plants within his bride the DNA of eternal salvation. 
a seed which is perpetually planted and a crop that is perpetually harvested. That when, when there is intimacy between Jesus and his bride in the womb of the church, the kingdom of God is born. From the very life of the church, when the seed of God, the seed of his kingdom, as we saw in Boaz and Ruth to give birth to Obed. You see, Ruth gave birth to more than Obed. She nursed the plan of God to redeem all of humanity. I wonder what God is birthing in his church today for generations to come. It's a really big question. I wonder what God is asking us to nurse today. What is God asking us to feed today? What plan is God hatching that in 1,300 years, get your head around that church, might he be doing because you and I were in the story? Because here's the beautiful truth. We are now the vast cast of ordinary people caught up in the story of God who each have a part to play in seeing the gospel of King Jesus reach every life we know. (laughs) Ruth and Naomi had their time, now's ours. Ruth and Boaz played their part, now it's our turn. The Lord is still impregnating his church with the DNA of the kingdom that we would give birth to it in this world, that we would nurture it, that we would see it grow, that we would see it matured, that there would be a harvest of that seed for generations to come. Regardless of the season, regardless of the times we're in, regardless of whether we're in famine, flood, corona, or whatever, there is an endless truth that remains. We are the church called to play our part in propagating the great news of Jesus. That what began with Obed became David. And what became from David came Jesus. And from Jesus, we have been redeemed. He is the nourisher of life. He is the redeemer. He is the one who has paid the price. He is the one who took off his sandal and said, it is paid. He is the one who went to the cross and said, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Let's just sit and ponder the greatness and love of God that every day he cares for your every day. That God is so concerned for your eternal day. Father, we thank you for the transcendence of your word. 
that it does not know the limits of humankind. It does not know the limits of any restrictions that we would place upon it. It does not know the limits of religion. It does not know the limits of any man-made construct in this world, that your word transcends all things. But yet in some kind of mysteriousness, your word lands among us right now. may we see that we are part of a bigger story, one that we could never have scripted ourselves. And may we place our trust firmly in the director, the one who is behind the scenes, the one who sees not what we see, the one whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, the ones whose dreams are bigger than any dream we could imagine, the one whose resources are more abundant than we can even wrap our minds around, the one whose love is bigger and greater and more far-reaching than we could ever possibly comprehend. May our trust be in the one who is at work every day and for eternity behind the scenes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.